Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Thankful to have you here. Today is Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. Don't forget to click like and subscribe to the channel that you're watching us on this morning if you'd like to get updates when we go live. Every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, the Wake Up America Show brings you the best in economic freedom and personal liberty. All right, let's get this show started. The second day in of coverage of the conflict in the Middle East, Israel is launching airstrikes as a retaliation against the terror attacks in southern Israel. We're going to be talking about that one today. We've also got some interesting other topics as well. As usual, I will add this caveat that I am not an expert on Middle Eastern politics, and so I have gone to the well to grab information from people who are my betters, people who are way more intelligent than me on these kinds of issues, to share with you their thoughts today. I'm going to be sharing with you today a new guest. Well, actually, I think he's been on before. Uh, if you've uh, heard of the Pew Pew Jew, Yehuda Remmer, yesterday Ben Shapiro was trending online when people were accusing him of dual loyalty, the idea that he's for Israel first before he's for America first. This is an interesting question for American Jews. I'm going to speak to Yehuda Remmer uh, about that this morning. At 7.30 a.m., we're going to talk about America first. What should the role of the United States be in this conflict, if any at all, and whether or not this means World War III? We're going to talk about that this morning. I've also got some interesting video clips from presidential candidates Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. Specifically, Ramaswamy spoke to Tucker Carlson last night about the possibility of war with Iran. And I've got that clip for you. We're going to talk about that and discuss it. But speaking of people who are smarter than me, uh, I've pulled a couple of clips of Milton Friedman uh, talking about Israel and the Jewish state, specifically his thoughts about the economic policies of Israel, which might help to shape our discussion on this today. Like I said, people who are smarter than me. Yesterday, I played clips from uh, objectivist philosopher Ayn Rand and her take on the situation. And to sum it up, she argued that it was wiser to support Israel because she believed that they were the advanced technological civilization. And of course, I got people stirred up. I wonder what your thoughts are on this topic or what Ayn Rand had to say. And I'll be curious to hear what you think when we listen to what Milton Friedman had to say about the state of Israel. You can always text the show. Night or day during the show is great, especially if there's breaking news or something that you think that I might have missed. You can text the show at 573 319-1586. Again, you can text the show and let us know what's on your mind. Weigh in with your thoughts on the news of the day at 573-319-1586. I do have to apologize to Wood Hippie yesterday because I told him I was going to be able to get him on, but then, you know, things were just flying around like crazy, so I wasn't able to get him on the show. But I did call him afterwards and got an earful from his thoughts on the situation. I'd love to hear from you again at 573 319 one five eight six. Camelia Peterson is going to join us at eight o'clock. I'm looking forward to talking to her and lighten things up a little bit. <laughs> the dark topic, after all, about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running as an independent. Oh yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. until today. Uh, <laughs> and the, the word on the street, the scuttlebutt for a while, was that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was going to run for president of the United States on the Libertarian Party's ticket which is honestly the only way he gets on the ballot in all 50 states. So what this means is, well, a couple of things. One, he's definitely not going to get on the ballot in all 50 states. And two, the states that he does get on the ballot on, just remember, 
he was polling in double digits in the Democratic primary. So if any, I know a lot of people yesterday were kind of like, well, I think he pulls more from Trump, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what are, what, are you out of your mind? I mean, here's the thing. He was pulling, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was pulling in double digits in the Democratic primary, one, not the Republican primary. So that means that he's very popular with Democrats. And his whole shtick is the anti-vaccine stuff. So Donald Trump supporters are not going to go to Robert F. Kennedy unless it's really just all about the vaccine for them. And I know for some, for some of them there are, but I really think that the sort of the angry, you know, at Donald Trump for being pro-vaccine people is more of an angry online thing than an in real life thing. Because when you speak to actual boomers who are your typical angry boomers in real life, they're still going to vote for Donald Trump. They're not going to vote for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That's kind of a, that's a very niche internet thing. And I really see, like, the problem is, is that for people like us, you and I probably, if you're watching us on Rumble, you're probably very technologically advanced. That We are the technologically advanced society. We are not the terrorists. <laughs> then you you probably have the same kind of confirmation biases that we all have when we live our life perpetually online. We think that everybody else out in Normie land is like us, but they're really not. So I don't see Trump supporters, large amounts of Trump supporters voting for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Again, text the show. Let us know at 573-319-1586. And just because I'm trying to, you know, not spend 100% of the time talking about Israel and the war with Hamas, but we are going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, I do have some clips of uh, things you should not do in a real fight and things that you should do in a real fight. I've got a couple of street fight videos, and as a martial artist, I always like to um, to uh, show you guys some martial arts videos and talk to you a little bit about self-defense. At 8.35 this morning, I'd like to speak to John Miltimore more about for libertarian foreign policy conundrums, because whenever, uh, whenever foreign policy happens, uh, the foreign policy crises are, emerge around the world, like you just, the cringe from the liberty movement, it just, it, every single day is cringe. It's like, there's a strong hippie undercurrent in the libertarian movement, and I get that, and, and it's fine, you know, like, peace, love, war, nobody wants war, man. But like, it, it you gotta have some kind of defense strategy, right? So like, I, I like to think about individual strategy and then scale it up from there to national defense strategy. What would you do? What would you do? And I just, I understand I think that probably one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why Americans don't elect libertarians is because I feel like the American people, one, feel like libertarians blame the United States for every problem around the world, which I think for a long time I used to defend many libertarian figures against though those accusations. But now, after having been around for 15 years in the liberty movement, I actually agree with uh, that point, I, I do think that the default position for many libertarians is to blame America first for everything, which is not to say that America doesn't play, have its dirty finger in the pot around the world, right? But that is always the default position for some libertarians before they even analyze it. It's, oh, how can I blame the United States for this, right? Like, you literally have the mindset of the terrorists, okay? And then two, I think that Americans don't, because who wants to be told, if, even if, you, if that were true, and you're gonna you're gonna tell voters that right bad idea right and then two they don't trust that a libertarian would have a foreign policy that would actually defend the united states like why would you elect someone in a position of power who tells you 
yeah, we're going to disarm. You can have your AR-15, though, in case we get invaded by Hamas or whatever. But but you can have your AR-15, right? Or we'll give you the full auto machine gun. And, oh, yeah, the untrained citizen is going to have to repel the attack from a first world nation like China and Russia. It just doesn't make sense. You got to have a better, stronger, broader, thicker, robust, more developed foreign policy. Or, or you're just never going to, you're never going to be taken seriously. There it is. There it is. And I'm a pariah amongst libertarians, but you know what? I don't give a fuck. I gave up caring about what libertarians think about me a long time ago. Stephanie and I were actually talking about this last night. For those of you who don't know Stephanie, my wife, we're talking about foreign policy and talking about libertarians caring about uh, what you think. She's like, she's like, yeah, it's interesting. You see all these libertarians are kind of just going down the same old tropes, you know, online. And she's like, and you're kind of just taking a different tack from this and stuff. Right. And I've, by, by the way, haven't advocated for American interventionism at all whatsoever. So in my mind, my libertarian bona fides are, are perfectly in line. Uh, however, 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 right, when placing to, you know, the other issue, I feel as if I'm sort of forging a new path for libertarians, like my own branch of libertarianism, if you will, which is a libertarianism that is not pacifist, that, that actually believes that don't tread on me means what it says. We'll talk about that a little bit later with John Miltimore. He's the managing editor of the Foundation for Economic Education, a fellow liberty lover like myself. Liberty lover. Liberty lover. He'll be joining us this morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. <laughs> Love to hear from you guys on this. One listener just texted in, said, what about Americans? They are Christian faith. The Bible tells us the Jews come first, then the Gentile. So every American should support, Christian should support Israel. We will be judged. Also, who blesses Jerusalem? will be blessed in every Christian interest to bless Jerusalem. Well, that's, um, I don't know how to answer something like that. I am not of your uh, particular faith, so I'll just let you have that. Uh, one listener did text in on the Kennedy thing, says Kennedy will pull a lot of previous Trump voters who are sick of Trump, but Kennedy also showed his true colors with his willingness to support Israel at all costs. What happened to being anti-war and bringing peace? I'm done with politics, never voting again. That's a... <laughs> Remember, the price of not getting involved is being ruled by your inferiors. You can somebody sent me a message of an animated Pixar movie of Bill Clinton with on the Lolita Express there. 26 trips to Epstein Island. Oh my god, god. Andy, Andy Opperman. Can we please stay on topic? Anyways, like I said, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Again, you can always text the show and let us know what's on your mind at 573-319-1586. 1586. All right. Well, I listen, I, I'm being very careful to try not to show you what I think might be just propaganda videos. Sometimes that might be unavoidable, but certain videos from this conflict, I will show you. Some of them are quite graphic, just to give you a heads up. Uh, and others, I think, that just paint a picture of what's at stake here and the human, con the human cost of war. Take a look and a listen at this latest clip. This is a, a little girl talking about her sister who was just murdered by Hamas and asking if she will ever come back. Are you crying? It didn't happen. I wanted her to stay alive. There is no chance she will come back? Question mark. There is no chance. 
Mother, no. No more, no more. No. Relax. No, no. His sister, his sister. His sister, his sister. My sister died. Kidnapper say she went to heaven. She was kidnapped and had their sister executed in front of them. Now, uh, the question of what needs to be done is already being hotly debated in Washington, D.C. Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky has already somehow come out of a coma to write this piece in the Wall Street Journal saying that here are the four steps that he thinks that the United States should take as a retaliation to these strikes. He says that the civilized world must impose real costs on terrorists and those who support or condone them. There should be no haven for Iran's agents of death. The West should reimpose extensive multilateral sanctions on Tehran and deny Iranian planes overflight rights, impound the shipping vessels Iran uses to circumvent sanctions, close Iranian banks with access to the West, and cease the Iranian operations of European businesses. businesses. Treat Iranian officials like pariahs and sink Iranian naval boats that threaten international shipping. That's quite a lot. But what did what should we hear? Uh, uh, excuse me. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy spoke last night to Tucker Carlson, and he has a little bit of a different take on it. Take a listen to this. Alone, candidates running for the Republican nomination for president, Vivek Ramaswamy dared to suggest that actually. Excuse me. Hold on. I should actually push the button there so you can see. Alone it. among go. candidates running for the Republican nomination for president, Vivek Ramaswamy dared to suggest that actually going to war with Iran might not be in America's national interest. And for saying that, Mike Pence immediately denounced him as gutless and unpatriotic or something. But we thought it might be worth hearing more. Vivek Ramaswamy joins us now. Vivek, thanks so much for coming on. So if I'm reading this correctly, you suggested while offering what seemed like real sympathy um, to the Israeli people, the many murdered there two days ago, you noted that maybe it's not in America's best long-term interest to declare war on Iran. Is that what you said? I actually said this long before this crisis when people were thinking clear-headedly. And I just want to say a couple of things that are obvious but important, Tucker. I mean, what happened against Israel? You said it. I believe it. It is barbaric. It is medieval. Yeah. It is wrong. And Israel as a nation absolutely has the right to self-defense, to its own national existence. And I think of they course. should have our moral and diplomatic support as an ally. But there's one element of this that nobody's talking about. What the hell went wrong with U.S. and Israeli intelligence and the Israeli defense? I'll pause for just a moment because I think it's important to note that he said moral and diplomatic support. He did not say, and Vivek Ramaswamy very carefully chooses the words that he says. And we're talking about someone that is I think probably in the top three list of Donald Trump's vice presidential candidates, at least I hope, but he did not say financial support. And Vivek, someone who chooses his words very carefully, could have easily stated financial or military support. He did not. He said diplomatic support and moral support. Because again, what is the difference between an America first candidate and a typical neoconservative Nikki Haley style candidate? or Mike Pence-style candidate. 
The difference is more than just moral and diplomatic support, it's financial and military support, right? That allowed this to happen. Everybody seems to be punting that as a question for later. I think it's a question for now, if you're Israel. I mean, look, I think that Nikki Haley, I disagree with you a little bit there. I don't think she's a child. I think that she is somebody who is, like many politicians, in a position to get wealthier from war. Look at the military contracting business and otherwise. But put that. Damn, damn. Listen, I mean, that's a direct accusation right there. Finally. Isn't it nice to see candidates? And even if you think Vivek Ramaswamy is controlled by the WEF and George Soros or whatever, stuff like that, you know, understand, I like the guy. That takes guts, okay? That you did not see Republican politicians saying things like that. Like, that could have come out of the mouth of Congressman Ron Paul running for president in 2008 or 2012, accusing them of being war profiteers and warmongers. Let's give it up for Vivek. Even if you don't like the guy, you can't disagree with that, can you? John and Casey says he still doesn't trust Vivek. I get it. I understand. But I kind of hope the guy ends up being Trump's VP. That's one continue. side. The message that I would send would be very different. Get to the bottom of what allowed this gaping hole of intelligence and defense to even happen before feeding that same beast. If a doctor told you his job was to keep you from getting cancer and then you got that cancer, don't go trust that same doctor to remove your tumor. They don't let airplanes, when they crash, the pilots or the people who crash the airplane, that airliner is not the one who reviews the black box. And so I think those right. answers have to come now. That's not a question. See, that is an intelligent mind. I mean, give it up for Vivek because, I mean, who just knows that kind of stuff? Grover Bentley over in the live stream. Good morning, Bro Grover says, I think Americans should worry about Americans. We have enough issues going on with our country. SM77 agrees with him. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Do us a favor, click like on the stream and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content that you're seeing this morning. I've got lots of great interviews, guests, and topics for you as well. The content that I have for you, absolutely supreme. We're going to actually hear from Milton Friedman a little bit later, the ghost of Milton Friedman talking about his thoughts on the economic situation in Israel and his thoughts about where they're at compared to the United States, which his comparison of Israel and the United States was fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Um, again, text the show. Let us know at 573-319-1586. Uh, I, I, I don't have time to play the entire Tucker Carlson clip. I do want to play a little bit more of it to so you can hear what Tucker Carlson was articulating, which I think Tucker really advocated for the America First position on this the best. And of all the, the things that America First, or at least the MAGA movement, have advanced, all of the policies and ideas that Donald Trump advanced, what I thought Donald Trump was the strongest on, although, you know, no per not perfect, people can nitpick here and there, was the foreign policy. I like the, I like America First. I like what Donald Trump advocated for. From now means. on, it's going to be America first, okay? America first. Absolutely. So I want to get back to Tucker Carlson, but let's hear what Ron DeSantis had to say when it came to the situation with Israel and Hamas. Take a listen to this. thoughts for the Palestinian citizens who don't support Hamas and are going to be part of this crossfire? Well, look, Israel has said to people, they've telegraphed what they're doing, they've given the warning to leave, and people should heed that. Hamas is telling them to stay. Hamas wants them to be 
basically roadkill. They're using them as human shields, and that's what they've done. That's been a standard tactic, technique, and procedure for Hamas for a long time. I do think in the broader context, I think it's important that people from all persuasions and all religious faiths speak out and say what Hamas did was wrong. Uh, be very clear that that's not something that you support. We should get everybody united behind the fact that uh, this type of barbaric activity has no place in a civilized world. We're not going to sit there. They're actually, they went in, they would film on the victim's phone the execution of the victim, and then they would use the phone to post that execution on social media. So then you have the families yeah, that are following these people on social media. They're seeing this, and they're seeing their loved one uh, be executed. Yeah, there was actually one situation where the terrorists, who, when they kidnapped one of the um, the people at the uh, dance festival, they actually used that person's phone to call the parents to mock them uh, and then hung up. So he's right about that. But let, I'm going to let him finish, and then I want to critique what he's really, saying This is really, really sick stuff. So I hope that there's folks, uh, both Palestinian Arabs and in the broader Middle East, that will speak out uh, against uh, Hamas. I think, unfortunately, what we've seen is Hamas is, um, uh, they're really representative of a lot of poison that circulated in that region for many, many decades. You, know, you talk about, people used to talk about the two-state solution. They never wanted a two-state solution. What they want is no Jewish state. That was, that's been their whole uh, desire all the way from the late 1940s to the present. They're not out there to just have some type of agreement where you can broker and people can live side by side. They do not want Jews in the region at all. Okay, now, I, I could be wrong. And what DeSantis is saying here is correct to a large extent. But, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't really get that same sense of America first foreign policy from Ron DeSantis that I get from Vivek Ramaswamy and from Donald Trump. Am I wrong about this one? Maybe there's something that I've missed, you know, with all of the news coming at us from every angle on all this story. Maybe Ron DeSantis has come out and says, and he said that, I agree that we don't need to be sending financial and military aid to the state of Israel, which is the America first position, right? As Vivek Ramaswamy has stated in, in this clip that I played just a moment earlier, we should have diplomatic support and we should have moral support, but he didn't say financial or military support which isn't to say that financial and military support isn't going to happen anyway. I even saw Florida Congressman Matt Gates, for example, talking this morning about uh, responding to Marco Rubio, uh, who was talking about how we've basically set Israel up with an auto pay system, right? So monthly subscribe to Israel, if you will. <laughs> Apparently, the United States is, has a monthly subscription to Israel, right? Which isn't to say that you can't have moral support for Israel. And, and listen, if American Jews want to support the state of Israel, they should absolutely have the right to do so. If they want to do so with their finances, or with their time or their blood or energy, that's fine. You know, there are plenty of Americans who believe in the Ukrainian uh, uh, military's right to defend themselves against Russian aggression, and plenty of those Americans have gone over to Ukraine to fight for the Ukrainian cause. You know what? God bless them. Personally, I'm for America first. I morally support Israel. I think we should diplomatically support Israel, but I don't think that the United States should be getting involved in another conflict in the Middle East. We just got done with, what, two conflicts in the Middle East, 
and we're still in the middle of that conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Frankly, I'm sick and tired of it. I, I think it's time for a little bit more America first. And it's things like these that make this libertarian think that a lot of this shit wouldn't be happening under Donald Trump. It's things like this that make me think that we would be better off in the next in the next election if we can get Donald Trump to be president of the United States again. Am I wrong? Am I right? Are we booing me? Or what? Why are you booing me? I'm right. Now, again, take this from someone, and I know for many of you, 1,300 people watching us this morning, thank you for joining us here. For many of you, this may be the first time that you met me. You may not know who I am at all. I'm Austin Peterson. I'm the host of the Wake Up America show you're watching now. I'd love it if I could earn your like or your subscribe to this channel. I appreciate that. I'm a former Libertarian Party presidential candidate. In 2016, I ran for president of the United States, ironically enough, against Donald Trump and against Hillary Clinton. In 2020, I uh, changed my mind on Donald Trump because I saw how he governed and I saw it as better than what we'd had before. And I switched my vote to Donald Trump in 2020. And I'm willing to vote for him again in 2024. I haven't made a decision about who I'm endorsing yet in the 2024 primary. I will say that I would be happy with any of the top contenders at the moment that we have, meaning the top three at this point, I guess we have Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, sort of in a one, two, three, with the second places and third places being way far behind Donald Trump. But I do like the idea of seeing Vivek Ramaswamy being the potential vice presidential candidate because he is he, he seems competent, right? When he chooses his Long words carefully this here. crisis, when people were thinking clear-headedly, and I just want to say a couple of things that are obvious but important, Tucker. I mean, what happened against Israel? You said it. I believe it. It is barbaric. It is medieval. Yeah. It is wrong. And Israel as a nation absolutely has the right to self-defense, to its own national existence. And I think of they course. should have our moral and diplomatic support as an ally. There it is, right? They, they should have our moral and diplomatic support as our ally. And that is the key word right there. Okay, so here's what I've got for you. Okay, I've got some exciting stuff left to go. Yehuda Remmer, the Pew Pew Jew, is going to weigh in on this question of America first with Jews and the accusations of Ben Shapiro of dual loyalty. I've got an Anthony Rogers comedy segment for you as well. Lots of great stuff left to go. Don't leave. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Do us a favor. Lots of people watching this morning, 1,500. Glad to have you here. Click like and subscribe to the channel so you can get updates when we go live. Every Monday through Friday, the Wake Up America Show streams live from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. It's a great way to start your day. If you, if you believe in the principles of economic freedom, and personal liberty, this is the place to be. We'll be glad to have you come back and join us again tomorrow. Israel versus Hamas. But let's look a little bit closer to home. The question of America first and people making accusations of dual loyalty to Jews or Palestinians here in the United States. Let's talk about these questions with someone who knows. Yehuda Remmer, usually known as the Pew Pew Jew, joining us here this morning. He and I have had even some private conversations one-on-one -on -one about this topic. He's joining us live right now. Good morning, Yehuda. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, appreciate having you here, Yehuda. It's, uh, I, I'm not an expert on Middle Eastern affairs, and typically I like to, uh, to avoid foreign policy topics because 
if you're not an expert on things like this, it's easy to get it wrong. So I bring people like you who are smarter than me on to help me understand <laughs> these kinds of things. But uh, the my first question for you, I guess, should be a, a broader, obvious one here. And and what was your reaction to the brutal strikes by Hamas on Israel the uh, over this past weekend? So I, I, I was in a two-day holiday, so I didn't really get the brunt of it until Sunday night, uh, about 36 hours, 48 hours, something like that, after it occurred. But I will tell you, as an Orthodox Jew who has lived in Israel, who has visited there numerous times, I mean, it it tore my heart out. Uh, it, You know, I can understand if Palestinians want to attack Israeli, the Israeli army, uh, you know, military-based, something for, uh, of a military nature. But this was just evil. I mean, there's no other word for it. And I think evil is even a, a underused word for this. What could they possibly hope to accomplish in something like this? I mean, it, it, attacking military targets, people would say, oh, it's despicable, oh, it's awful, but you, you could say, oh, well, they're trying to accomplish some kind of a military objective, right? You could say, objectively looking at something like this, they're just trying to either expand their territory or protest against the crackdown on their civil liberties, if you will, in the Gaza Strip. But what do they hope to accomplish by murder, murdering innocent women and children and people at dance festivals? What, what are they trying to do here? I mean, it's terrorism. <laughs> That's all it is. It, it's terrorism. There's nothing more to say about it. They don't care. It, it, they're not looking for a peaceful solution. If they were looking for a peaceful solution, I again, I can understand hitting a military target, right, to, to advance their peaceful, to get to that area where they're willing to talk. But this is not that. They, don't, they just want to kill Jews. That's it. There's nothing more. Now, uh, the question here at home uh, is one of the uh, intervention of the United States into the conflict, and American Republicans are largely divided on this issue. The question of whether or not the United States should be supporting Israel um, diplomatically, morally, financially, and militarily, all four different questions. And earlier I played a clip from Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy who typically chooses his words very carefully. And what he articulated was that he supported Israel diplomatically and he supported them morally, but he did not say financially or militarily. What is your response to that? You know, here's what I'm going to say, and I know, I know I'll probably get a lot of hate for this, but the United States of America gives money to countless countries all over the world who dance in the street, burning American flags, and yelling death to America, right? Yet we continue to give them money. We just gave $6 billion to Iran. And from all the news that I'm seeing now, right, Iran actually had a big part to do by supplying weapons with that $6 billion to the Palestinians. So we give all this money, yet the one ally that we do have in that region, the one ally who does not call for the death of Israel, is the one that everyone talks about, right? Stop giving them money, stop giving them aid. How do you respond to that, right? Like, what, what do you well, say to that? Well, it depends, right? So, it, you know, I do very much consider myself an America first libertarian Republican. I agree with Vivek. We should support 
Israel diplomatically, and we should support them morally because I believe they have the moral high ground in the conflict with Hamas, and I've always believed that. But I can't agree with taxing American citizens to support a foreign nation, which absolutely can defend and take care of itself. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu gave us an address in Congress, I think sometime back in like 2008 or 2010 or so, saying that he's tired of the American military dollars that are coming over there because they always come with strings attached. In many ways, we hold Israel back from accomplishing its foreign policy goals, especially when we have Democrats in power such as we do right now. How would you respond to that? So look, I, I'm totally fine with, with not sending money to Israel. I, I honestly am. Um, I do think that they are they are totally able to protect themselves. I don't think it's an issue. Um, what I do think that if Israel does call in America for, say, you know, say, say you're a, a teenager and you have money for your first car and you just need that extra $500 so you'll turn to mom and dad and say, hey, can you guys help me? Right. Like Israel is able to do it. But if I believe because we are the only real ally that America has, you need to stand by your allies. And and I'm not I'm I'm slowly becoming libertarian uh, very slowly. But, you know, in this case, I think and, and I'm not even talking about because I'm a, I'm a Jew and I've been to Israel that really I'm taking take that out of the picture for a second. I think if you have a, a strong ally, one who never really has done you wrong. And I know everyone's going to say, you know, um, now they're all going to jump on me saying, oh, yeah, well, Israel bombed the... Uh, USS Liberty. USS Liberty, thank <laughs> you, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, all right, good. That that was like 80 years ago, 90 years ago, whatever it was. I get it. It was a huge mistake. Israel should you not have done that. You literally but... cannot have a discussion with an Israel hater that they do not mention the USS Liberty. It, 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 yes, exactly, because... <laughs> America's perfect and has never bombed anyone. Exactly. But, um, but you know, you take all of that, it, ah, take all of that aside that I'm an Orthodox Jew, I do think that because they are our only ally in a very hotbed region, I do think that there should be more than moral and, and uh, diplomatic aid. Okay. Well, we probably disagree with that, but I disagree with you respectfully. And it, I agree with your point when you say that they are our allies. Absolutely. It's not to say that they don't sometimes spy on us, but we also spy on them right back, I'm sure. <laughs> but but the, the problem that we face here is that, like you said, we do fund Israel's enemies through 10 times as much as we fund the state of Israel. You know, the, the $6 billion that was sent to Iran Donald Trump was absolutely correct that that money that was sent to Iran would be used back against us. Now we see the Iranian military officials and, and the mullahs are coming out and they're saying, oh, we didn't have anything to do with this. But Hamas has claimed that Iran helped them to plan and to coordinate this attack. What do you believe? I think Iran would do it. I mean, they, they've been calling, you know, for the death of Israel for years that, you know, they would threaten nuclear war and you know, just eradicate Israel off the face of the map, right? What what do they say from sea to sea, something like that, right? Like, I mean, they they've been saying it. So, would I be surprised in any way um, that Iran had a part of it? Not not at all. I I believe that they probably did supply weapons and you know strategic uh, aspects to this attack. 
This morning, Senator Mitch McConnell has published an article in the Wall Street Journal. He says that the civilized world must impose real costs on terrorists and those who support them. There should be no haven for Iran's agents of death. The West should reimpose extensive multilateral sanctions on Tehran and deny Iranian planes overflight rights, impound the shipping vessels Iran uses to circumvent sanctions, close Iranian banks with access to the West, and cease the Iranian operations of European businesses, treat Iranian officials like pariahs, and sink Iranian naval boats that threaten international shipping. Now, my question is going to you know, introduce another scenario to you here, and already a massive <laughs> scenario, Yehuda. Why, like, if you're going to do these kinds of things, what, what, why are all these half measures? Why not just put a bounty, a price on the head of the Iranian mullahs? Why all of, like, like all of this dithering and like, quote unquote, diplomacy, if you will, and you're pun all this is doing is punishing the Iranian people. I don't understand. Why don't we send Mitch McConnell over there with SEAL Team 6 himself to take them out? What are your thoughts on Mitch McConnell's oh. proposal and then my counter proposal? So I think that, I think, you know, they're taking, like, both parties, right, Democrat and Republican, that they're both spineless. And I think, you know, at some point, you do have to cut the head off the snake. But what they're proposing, like you said, will hurt the Iranian people. I think whether you want to do strategic attacks, you know, send in the boys from SEAL Team 6 or Delta and, you know, cut the heads off the snake that way, make a, send a real message. Don't, don't just, I don't know, sanctions, right? Because, all right, it'll hurt them for maybe a year, but let's be honest, they're going to get around it somehow. And they always do. And then, and right. then, you know, in six years from now, we'll be sending another six billion to Iran, right? It, it's at some point, it's like it, it, the ancient warlords knew how to handle this kind of thing, right? You, it's uh, what is the? I love that old Will Rogers quote where he says, "Diplomacy is the art of saying nice doggy while looking around for the nearest rock." <laughs> I never heard that. It's great. <laughs> If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're thankful and glad to have 1,800 people watching us live right now. What is going on out there? We're thankful and glad to have you here. So click that like button and subscribe to the channel to say thank you back. I'm speaking to Yehuda Remmer. He is an American Jew. He is at the Pew Pew Jew over on Twitter. You can find him defending your Second Amendment rights as a God-given American. Uh, he's glad we're glad to have him here and i'm your host austin peterson this is the wake up america show every monday through friday 7 to 9 a.m central time come back and join us y'all come back now yeah yehuda um uh, last topic here ben shapiro is frequently accused of dual loyalty because of his overt support of the nation of israel as a matter of fact some people argue that he supports israel first before uh, being an American. That's probably a fairly common accusation uh, against American Jews, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely can. I've seen that numerous times. And how do you respond to something like that? I mean, it's interesting. It, it's, it's a tough question, right? Because I bleed red, white, and blue. Um, I was born here. I love America. I don't have plans of ever leaving i don't plan on moving to israel to me um there's a lot of change that needs to happen before i would consider moving to israel but israel's our homeland right israel's the jewish homeland uh 
And I think that there's a lot of American Jews that believe that, but also, you know, think the same way I do, is that it, there's not a, and I'm, I'm coming from the religious Jewish aspect, not the overall, you know, conservative and reformed Jews. But, you know, a lot of Jews have a problem that the state of Israel has become more of a secular state of Israel and not a Jewish religion-based state of Israel. And I think that's a big uh, deciding factor why a lot of Jews wouldn't move there. However, that doesn't mean that they don't love Israel and they don't want to support Israel. And I think that's where that dual loyalty comes in, is that they want, and, and this is where I kind of disagree, uh, kind of back to what we were saying about sending aid to Israel. Um, I think a lot of Jewish Americans want to ensure that America backs Israel in every aspect, and that in, that means give them money, give them everything they need. I am actually against that as a whole. I think right now sending them you know, financial aid and help, that I kind of agree with because they're in the war, and it's a war that has to be won because if Israel loses this war, Israel ceases to exist. Right? I mean, is they, there any chance? I mean, how is it, how could Israel lose the war against Hamas? I mean, like... This, we're talking about a nuclear nation versus tribal people in a tiny strip of land. I mean, how could Israel possibly lose the war? Even, you know, without American support? It doesn't make any sense, Yehuda. Well, let's be honest. First off, you're not going to use a nuclear, a nu any kind of nuclear device in your own backyard. Sure, but I mean, the threat, right, but the threat is there. You know, if Iran or no, Lebanon or, or, you know, Syria or Jordan or Egypt decided to get involved, Israel has the the apocalypse now button, right? But I mean, a, <laughs> this is a war against a terrorist group in a tiny strip of land. I mean, they I know Israel doesn't want to occupy the Gaza Strip, but I mean, should the Gaza Strip even exist? I mean, wasn't it a mistake to create this in the first place? So yes, it was. But but to answer the other question is, look at what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now we can debate whether it was a good idea to go in or not. Don't care about that at the moment, but. The minute we went in, you had foreign nationals from every other nation who happened to be Muslim coming into the country and fighting, right? You you saw people from all walks of life who entered the country illegally or even with a visa. And within two days, you know, Americans kill them and they find the, the passport, if you will, on the floor and they see what well, these people are coming from out of town. So... You don't think the same thing will happen? I mean, we're talking about Israel is a tiny, I mean, literally a sliver surrounded by 10 billion people who want to kill them. It would just be one of those things that you will just keep on. It, it would end up being just, a hundred year war. I just, I think Israel is actually more militarily capable than the United States is. And, and this is actually from a book that I read by Thomas Sowell about how the Israelis are much more capable uh, and willing to defend themselves than even the United States are. I actually am much more confident in the uh, uh, the Israeli military than you are. It seems, you. <laughs> well, no, it's not. Once it's not that. I, it's not that I don't think that the Israeli government can do it. But the issue is because there would con the, the war wouldn't end because people would just be coming in from Jordan and from you know Saudi Arabia and from all these other outside nations to come fight against the Jewish people that the death toll on the American side would be, uh, sorry, I, I apologize, the death toll on the Israeli side would be so high that they would, 
they could lose the war because they just don't have enough people. Yeah, they're, I don't know. I just, it's such a small country. I just, yes, it is, but it's a powerful country and it's a wealthy country. Uh, and I, I'm confident that, you know, perhaps, it, you know, we could talk about debate this for hours, the intricacies of this, Yehuda. Unfortunately, I'm running out of time here. I want to give you an opportunity to, to plug your uh, social media and your website. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? Yeah. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. Well, uh, you can follow me at the Pew Pew Jew. You can go to the pewpewjew.com. I write children's books on firearm safety, history of the Second Amendment, uh, Second Amendment for children, and a lot of other fun stuff. So you can reach me out there. Always a great conversation. Yehuda, I consider you a friend and uh, definitely a great advocate for our principles here. Thanks for standing up for our Second Amendment rights here in the United States. And I appreciate you having this open discussion with us. It was very, very fulfilling, I would say. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Austin. Anytime. Thank you. Follow at the Pew Pew Jew over on Twitter. What did you think of Yehuda? Send us a text. 573-319-1586. That's a good discussion, right? So you see the difference of opinion there. Right? His argument is that the United States should be involved in this conflict more than just diplomatically and morally, as I advocate. But his argument is that the United States should be involved militarily and financially. I disagree. I agree with the more America first foreign policy, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, you can text the show night or day at 573-319-1586. Do us a favor, click that like button and subscribe to the channel and let us know what's going on in your mind. Speaking of the Jews, our friends over at Lear Capital, they're not Jewish. I've got a great deal going on on gold. Call 1-800-885-2175. These are our sponsors for the Wake Up America show. My lovely Jewish wife, Stephanie, came with a big bag of gold and silver herself. Why don't you get yourself one? No, not a Jewish wife. Well, actually, if you can. Jewish libertarian wife, very rare. Very rare. So you're more likely to get gold. If you call Lear Capital at 1-800-885-2175 today, here's your incentive $500 account credit. Give them a call, 1-800-885-2175 to get a $500 account credit now. You can get more information from our sponsors at learaustin.com on how to invest in gold, gold, silver, gold IRAs, for example, which are still physical gold, by the way. But if you want the $500 account credit, you got to call that number, 1-800-885-2175. Again, that's one 1- 800-885-2175 to get that $500 account credit today. Give us a little dance. I believe you've just recently returned from Israel and uh, you were a consultant to the conservative government on economic policy. Could you relate the subject of tonight's discussion here to recent events in Israel and the policies which are being followed by that conservative government. I would be very glad to do that because Israel is a fine example exactly of the false road we have been following. The Israeli, uh, Israel has been following what has been largely a policy moving towards socialism. It's much farther along that road than we are. The ideology of the leaders of Israel from the earliest stages was fundamentally social. A labor organization called Histadrut is both the largest labor organization and the largest industrial organization in Israel. 
And the thing that is absolutely fascinating is the extent to which you have complete disillusionment among the people of Israel with this approach and this policy. The Begin government was elected. You call it a conservative government. I don't call it a conservative government. It isn't a conservative government. I'm not a conservative. A conservative is somebody who wants to keep things the way they are. Mr. Begin wants to change things. I want to change things. Mr. Begin is a liberal in the true sense of the word. I'm a liberal in the true sense of the word. The word is now used in a distorted way. The modern liberal is liberal only with other people's money. <laughs> the word liberal means of and pertaining to freedom. And I believe in freedom, and a true liberal is somebody who believes in freedom. It isn't freedom for the government to take 40% of my income out of my pocket and spend it on things we, through our political mechanism, have decided on, but nonetheless that I as an individual, you as an individual, have no control over. So I will not agree with your description of Mr. Begin or his government as conservative. They're not. They're a liberal government. And in fact, you see, the word liberal still retains its 19th century meaning in most of Europe. And if you take the parties which together make up the Begin government, a major party is a liberal party of Israel. Now, with respect to the problem, the problem has been that as a result of the socialist tendency in Israel, you now have an enormous fraction of national income in Israel being spent by the government. You have a wide range of government and quasi-government enterprises. Over half of the people in Israel, half the workers in Israel are employed by either direct or indirect governmental enterprise. You have subsidies and everywhere, for industry, for labor, for what you name it. And the result has been that you have a very great degree of dissatisfaction on the part of the public at large. Pause for just a moment. This is, of course, Milton Friedman speaking about the economic policies of Israel. Now, let's hearken back to a couple of things. One, the discussion that I just had with Yehuda Remmer, where I disagreed that American military or finances should be sent over to support Israel, but that we should support them diplomatically and we should support them morally. And private citizens can support them militarily, personally. If they want to go fight, they can, and some do. Uh, and they can also support them financially. And of course, many do. However, what Milton Friedman is saying here is, is it gives me pause and Perhaps if we ask the question, if we are going to be financing the government of Israel, if we are going to be financing its defense, then the United States should be able to set Israeli economic policy. Am I wrong? Right? Maybe a good question I should have asked Yehuda there is, if we're going to supporting them financially, be supporting them financially and military, shouldn't we be allowed to tell Israel what to do? Shouldn't we be allowed to have a voice in their government? Should we not, as citizens have a voice in how they're they are governed, right? We are, this is taxation without representation. If we as American citizens are being taxed to, to support Israeli defense, why then do we as American citizens who are financing that defense not have a voice in the Israeli Knesset? Why do we not have an American representative in their parliament? Why do we not have a vote? And therein lies the problem that we go back to again when we talk about the problem of American intervention in this conflict, because 
Remember when Benjamin Netanyahu came to the United States and gave a speech in front of Congress and said that he would gladly refuse American taxpayer dollars if that meant that the strings would no longer be attached, right? It, because the problem, of course, is that if we pay, we demand a say. And that makes sense. Just like when it comes to the issue of school choice, for example. School choice is another perfect example of saying, hey, if our taxpayer dollars are going to be stolen from us and given to the American schools, we want to say and how that money is going to be sent. And I think that a lot of American Jews and people like a Yehuda Remer would not like that. They would say, no, 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 we want the money, but we don't want any strings attached. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you're taking my money and you're doing it through threat of force and you're advocating for the threat of force to take my money, I want a say in how that money is being spent. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Spicy take. I think my Jewish family is not going to like that. <laughs> hey, that's how you know I'm being honest, right? He who dares not offend cannot be honest. Who said that quote? Drop it in the comments. And we'll be back with Camelia Peterson to talk about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running as an independent on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Today's Tuesday, the 10th of October. An awesome Oktoberfest last week. The only sad thing about it is that my good friend Camelia only dropped by for like an oh. hour last week. We didn't have time to get drunk, to say stupid stuff and to do stupid, stupid stuff and then get arrested in Herman, Missouri. That's what we want to do, right? That's the annual tradition. <laughs> no, we didn't. Uh, but she did only hang out for an hour. Thankfully, her daughter Felicity did a great job at her, I guess it's a forensics tournament, if you will, debate tournament, that kind of stuff. She'll fill us in on all that, but we're going to talk to her about the real news. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running for president as an independent. Joining us now, Camelia Peterson. Good morning, CJ. How you doing? Good morning. I'm good. And, you know, the United Grand Lodge of Georgia followed me this morning, so I've got that going for me. And I'm like, I don't know, are women allowed to join the Freemasons? Is that a thing? No, you're only allowed to join, like, there's like a woman's org or something like that. <laughs> so. Okay, well... <laughs> No, glad it's to, good. I'm good. Glad to have you here, CJ. It was nice seeing you at Oktoberfest. Wish we could have gotten to party a little bit more. We ended up going to the distillery, and then we had some of that um, blackberry whiskey. It was like the blackberry Ooh. whiskey lemonade. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, I don't know about the lemonade part now. I've had a blackberry whiskey, and that's good. It was very, very good. Uh, anyways, uh, let's talk about what people care about, because they don't care about our, our private lives and our free time. Let's talk about that shirtless hunk behind you there. Oh, now, wait a minute. Can you can you just scooch over a little bit just for a moment so we can see the full background? Look at Biden's, look at his ape tits hanging out there. Delicious. Mm. Luscious nipples hanging out. Donald Trump looking thick. This is like, this might be the, the year of the sexiest presidential candidates ever, right? Would you, wouldn't you agree? Right. You know, I figured this is this is where we are at this point in our politics. And, you know, they say that people uh, vote for the hottest candidates anyway. Right. Isn't that how that's that how we judge our base our vote on? So, you know, by that metric, um, is RFK Jr. going to win? <laughs> <laughs> so the news is uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was polling in double digits in the Democratic primary, has now run as an independent. He was talking about flirting with the libertarians for a little while. That's not going to happen. Kind of get us up to speed here, CJ. 
Yeah, so he's, um, you know, he did his flirtation with the libertarians. You know, interestingly enough, um, Vivek Ramaswamy also went to some libertarian events and things like that. So I think that's good. Um, I don't think Trump's gone to any. He probably doesn't feel like he needs them. <laughs> Might not be welcome. Uh, but no, you know, um, RFK has decided to run as independent. You know, people have been talking about that he would do that for a while now, and he has. And there are lots of, it should, normally this would be no big deal because there are lots of third party candidates that are, I mean, I don't even know how many we have now that are, um, have filed to run. But I think the difference is that RFK has uh, been, uh, made a bit of a splash, especially in liber with libertarians and on the right, um, says a lot of things that they like. I know that you talked earlier about how that this was kind of a, a niche, very online thing with RFK. I don't know, you know, I'm not sure about maybe in the last month, but I know over the last few months as I meet with people, you know, in real life um, and a lot of older people who are really the major voting demographic, I have been surprised by how many people um, talk, brought up RFK Jr. and talked about him and liked what he said. And those same people, that brought him up that would talk about, you know, what he was saying with regard to the vaccines would also point out that Trump has, you know, doubled down on supporting the, the vaccines and those things. So, and the development and those sort of things. So do I think it's going to make a difference in the general election? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a, maybe that he could be a spoiler if he was polling double digits with the Democrats and there's enough unhappy people you know, on the kind of never Trump end of things, but still won't vote for Biden. You know, I think that the the potential is that he could, he could probably definitely cost Trump the election if Trump is at the top of the ticket in the general. And I only say that because I don't think Trump can win in the general, but I think if he does, it would be by such a narrow margin that it wouldn't be hard to upset him. Getting, uh, but if we are looking at the ballot access question, that's going to be a problem for RFK, yes. isn't it? Right. That's that's was the question that came to my mind, too, was whether or not he was going to be able to pull together a campaign that can get ballot access in all of the states that he needs to. And there's a lot of that that I don't fully I like the strategy part of that. I don't fully understand. But, you know, my understanding is that they would definitely need to target some states rather than others. Um, so I'm assuming that, you know, he's a pretty smart guy and he'll probably figure that into the calculation. So if if RFK gets on the ballots in certain states, that's really what makes a difference, right? We're talking about like Pennsylvania and Georgia, right? He needs to be able to get on the states that matter to accomplish what we really want to accomplish, right? <laughs> and help the Republicans win? Uh, yeah, do you think he's going to help the Republicans win? <laughs> I don't think he's going to help the Republicans win. Uh, I think it will... I, I think it will just create some some chaos in the race, but it will certainly make things more interesting. And, you know, isn't that where we are with bread and circuses? And the most important thing about our elections is that we're entertained, right? Right. So here's the thing. <laughs> some people are saying that he would actually take more votes from Donald Trump. How do you respond to that? I, you know, I think that might be right, although I get a lot of conflicting feedback on this because, you know, talking about some of the polls had him in double digits with Democrats. Um, but at the same time, you know, some of my, you know, left or left of center friends or more, you know, left leaning friends will talk about how that 
they, you know, um, the people that they know that were into RFK were their friends that were on the right. And, you know, anybody on the left will tell you that, oh, nobody. So I don't know, you know, kind of that those double digits, I wondered if that was like silent majority or the silent minority on the left. I don't know. Um, but I do think that the, his his main appeal um, to people was his anti-vaccine stance uh, and a couple of other things. But who is that going to appeal to the most? That's going to appeal to libertarians and people on the right. So, yeah, I do think that if he's going to pull votes from anywhere, it's going to be from Trump people or from, you know, really people who are anti-vaccine and it's a much smaller segment who are also anti-Trump. So, you know, this is like SM77 in the the comments says, you know, anecdotal here. But if we're if we're going to be using anecdotal data because we don't have good data yet and there will be polling that will be done to help confirm these biases or to tell us we were completely wrong on this one. But my hunch, my supposition is that you know, if he were to take from Trump supporters, it would be the type of Trump supporters who did not like Donald Trump's stance on the vaccines, for example. That probably would be the most, would make the most sense, right? Right. And I do think that there are, I don't know how much of a role it will play, but there are some people who have been unhappy with Trump's move to the left um, as he's come out this time around, because um, not only on um, not only has he kind of doubled down on the vaccine rhetoric and his his what he considers an accomplishment there, um, but also on you know his stance on abortion, which is not popular with a lot of people. It's been fascinating to me to see how many people are choosing to ignore that um, on, on among his base of supporters. But, you know, that's a lot. So many voters, especially our, our single issue voters on that issue. But I do think that when it comes that in terms of what people are prioritizing for issues for a long time um, before Roe v. Wade was overturned, there were a ton of single issue voters on abortion on the right. When you talk to people now, abortion almost never gets brought up. I mean, making phone calls, you know, knocking on doors. Very, very, I mean, like incredibly few um, people bring up abortion. It's all about, it's, it's about the economy, which is why I think Trump has the appeal that he has is because the economy was what people remember as being good under Trump. And I think that the people want that back. I certainly do, right? I, I certainly, sure. while there are lots of things that maybe I th think that Donald Trump can improve on and you and I have, you know, piddling disagreements with him on trade policy or this or that. The mo most American people do not like seeing the going to the grocery store and getting a tiny bag of groceries and it's $150. We're all struggling under this. The housing market is in an absolute crisis. People can't even buy cars, right? Have you looked at the price of vehicles, by the way? It is an absolute, too. it's a nightmare, right? Yeah. I, like, like now might be the worst time to buy a vehicle that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And it's not to say that the president can fix all those things, but I can tell you this, that it, it's it's sort of like the mindset of when it came to immigration, do you remember when Donald Trump got elected that immediately the immigration numbers went down without him ever doing anything? It, there, it's like, it, well, it reminds me of that that uh, that old Jimmy Carter quote, what we suffer and fear from now is a crisis of confidence, right? And to some extent, he was right, right? That he was right that like, to some extent, a part of the economy dwells on our hopes and dreams or our belief in the future. I mean, that's what investing is all about. 
If you right. think that investment isn't going to pay off in the future, you don't make an investment now. Pre people are probably waiting to see what happens with, with next year's election before they go and decide to invest in oil or gas or different things like that, because they know Biden and the Democrats are hostile to the economy and they'd be right, wouldn't they? Well, and you know, the thing is, I mentioned this in the chat kind of early on in the show is that I do think that Trump's biggest Achilles heel is that is the people that he surrounds himself with is his judgment in that. And it's not historically been good. He's had a lot of, you know, major missteps where things could have been much better. And the problem is, is that so much of what he did was by executive order that it was easy for Biden to come in and just undo it with the stroke of a pen. And that is what concerns me with Trump, is that I've not seen anything to suggest that his judgment in his advisors has improved. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, now he knows who the bad characters are. You know, now he knows who's really in the swamp because he had four years to figure that out. And so now he'll learn and he's got that experience under his belt. So when he goes back in, he won't make those same mistakes. And I'm sorry, but I have not seen any evidence of him using better judgment in, you know, the last two or three years, just in choices that he makes with regard to, you know, his legal strategy or the things that he says or, you know, his actions. I, I mean, he doesn't seem to choose good lawyers. I don't know. <laughs> no, but there aren't many good lawyers left to be able to defend him, which really leads There's us to There's a reason the, for that. <laughs> yeah. The next question in here is that, you know, can Donald Trump snatch victory from the jaws of defeat or vice versa, right? But let me briefly reset for those who might just be tuning into the Wake Up America show live right now. Glad to have you. I'm Austin Peterson. Make sure that you click like and subscribe to the channel. I'm speaking to Camelia Peterson. She joins us every Tuesday and Thursday here on the show at 8 a.m. Central Time. So if you like Camelia and you want to see her again, you can see her Tuesdays and Thursdays here on the Wake Up America show. We do recommend you watch the entire show, of course. But if you've got a special, I don't know, like a lot of people have crushes on CJ, so... If you've got some kind of weird, weird crush on Camellia for some reason, that would reason, be weird. That would be weird. Somebody, for example, Ilmerica over in the chat says, "Sorry, just being honest. I'm only 35, but I like older women." There you go. So see. Oh wait, 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 wait! I'm not sure that's a compliment. <laughs> uh, they were asking if Camellia was single earlier, so I think uh, I'll let Camellia answer that. Camellia. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. There you go. So you can hit her up, slide into the DMs at Rare Camellia, if you will. All right. So um, she does like men with a big vocab, big, extremely large vocab, if you know what I mean, guys. No, actually, I mean that literally, not metaphorically. Uh, Camellia, the, uh, the Trump campaign, I mean, it looks like he's going to sail to an easy victory in the primary. Who knows? Anything could happen. Like, you know, maybe he has a heart attack and dies. So maybe and that will and that would change everything. So we can't say for sure. But assuming he becomes the Republican presidential nominee and we have a rematch of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, I kind of agree with uh, who was it that we heard recently who was saying that things aren't the same as they were four years ago, that, you know, people's people can forget. Right. People can long for the old days. I, I, I don't remember who it was that said that, but it, it really rang true to me that it's quite possible that the American people might turn around and hand the presidency back to Trump just because they're so sick of Bidenomics. Maybe. Um, I think that you're right. We have um, short memories. Um, and I, but I do wonder, you know, when it really comes down to it, I think what will overwhelm everything else is probably the most negative aspect of our culture and politics today is the tribal as tribalistic aspect. And I think that people turn out to vote 
against someone, not for someone. And that is why there's real concern about Trump losing even to Biden is not because Biden is, you know, a decent candidate by any stretch of the imagination, but it's because the people that support him um, hate Donald Trump so much that they will turn out specifically to vote against him. Um, so I really think that's that's the bigger factor. Now, I'm also, you know, I'm not really convinced it's going to be Joe Biden. <laughs> I just really is, I mean, it's so hard to fathom that he's going to make it through another year. I mean, maybe they'll keep him propped up on pills. I don't know. But the man is just, you know, he's failing physically and mentally. And it's obvious for the world to see and I, I just, you know, I can't imagine that we, so, you know, do we get a Gavin Newsom and uh, get that another, would be frightening. Uh, that would be another frightening. Uh, Bill Clinton, you know, pretty, well, Bill Clinton was a pretty boy, but yes, side point. People um, thought he was cute back in the day. I don't know what's wrong with people. <laughs> yeah, you're just not the average person. The ladies love, he played the saxophone. Camelia, admit he it. You're a, if, a, if you had a man whip out a saxophone on a date and start ripping it up like Duke Silver, right? And you would be like, it's pretty. Okay, cute points go up when you can play an instrument like that. Am I wrong? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. see, see, I knew it, I knew it. See, that's the problem. That's why Gavin Newsom would probably win, because all the ladies would be voting with their vajayjays. Well, that's, I, I will not deny that. That's probably entirely true. Like, obviously not me, but, you know, there are a lot of women in the middle who, because when you listen to him talk, he's very persuasive. He's a mm -hmm. good speaker. And so it would, I mean, you know, if the Democrats are smart, honestly, I kind of think he'd be a good candidate, even with all, even with the way he's put, you know, California in the toilet. Um, but I don't think they'll care at that point. I don't think they'll even look at that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be Biden, but I guess we'll see. You know, we've been wrong lots of times. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, uh, Camelia Peterson, uh, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? Uh, I will just say one thing that's been on my mind a lot with everything that's been happening since the weekend that um, it keeps coming up that, you know, you do not have to have an opinion about everything. And interesting, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it just is, you know, I think that everybody on this Israel stuff feels like they have to have an opinion and they've got to take a side. There's that tribal aspect again. And you don't Especially love being lectured to by like the 16 year olds on Twitter who know everything about foreign policy. Right? I, if there is nothing, I mean, if there's one of the things that we can teach our kids is that you don't have to have something to say about everything. There's a quote that I, I always think about. This is like, blessed are those who have nothing to say and cannot be persuaded to say it. <laughs> because you're like, there's all this pressure, especially, especially with social media, to have an opinion on everything. And, you know, latest hot take. And the thing is, is that there's no, no easy answers on this. There's no, everything is a trade-off. And the bottom line is it comes down to self-preservation, you know, self-preservation trumps all. And did you, you like my, yeah, did, did you like my discussion? Uh, did you listen to me talking about good and evil? Yes, beyond good and evil. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because like, I, I really think that like, especially like our, our people, libertarians, like on foreign policy, like we're a bit retarded on this issue because it's always either America is at fault or we just need to stay out of it. But there's never any question of like, what is an actual, what is an actual defense policy that would be in our own best interest? 
And I thought it was interesting too, because did, I don't know if you heard me talk to Spike Cohen about this yesterday. I, I did. And I love Spike. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. But here's, but here's the funny thing. He's an anarchist, right? So I said, okay, you're the head of the Israeli government right now. What do you do? But he didn't say dissolve the government, which is the anarchist position. He says he would use the tools of government to fight back and to defend the people of Israel. So, I mean, it's kind of like, which is it at some point? It's like, are we right. anarchists? Are we pacifists? Are we non-interventionists? Or are we warmongering status neocons? I, I just, I guess I, I'm having a, a hard time dealing with the libertarian foreign policy position, which is why I'm looking forward to talking to John Miltimore so I can beat him up about it. <laughs> well, you know, I will say in Spike's defense in some ways, I think that one of the things that I've always liked about Spike is that he does hold to, you know, these principles of anarchism, but at the same time, he's pragmatic about it. Um, and when he was running as vice president um, a few years ago, that was one of the things that um, really kind of sold me in terms of when I asked him questions, he was like, let's be real. You know, I want to do all of these things. None of these things are going to happen in my lifetime, but we have to take steps to get there. And I do think we need the Spike Cohens of the world to balance the, the people who want to like go out, the Nikki Haley's of the world, right? We need those people that are like, we need that push and pull to maintain a balance for people like you who are saying, yes, I recognize that there are no good sides to this and everybody's done a lot of wrong things, but in but at the bottom of the day, you have end of the day, you have the, the right to defend yourself. And it comes down to self-preservation. And honestly, you know, when it comes down to me, it breaks my heart to see all of those. I can't watch them. It's like, it kills me. Can I ask you, but, Camelia, and, and, and the same question I asked Spike, because uh, uh, he gave an, an interesting answer, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot for the last 24 hours, on the, the foreign policy question, divorce it from Israel and Hamas, but the, you know, under the, the circumstances of an alien invasion, right, uh, if like the bug planet is sending out you know, missiles and asteroids and, and invading spaceships, um, would you say that we would have the right to destroy their home planet from which these attacks are coming from? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'm, I don't, I never envy people who are in charge of making these decisions because it's easy to, to armchair quarterback these things, but. You, are you going to kill the innocent baby cockroaches that are being destroyed? And the thing is, is like, yeah, you can try to be strategic all day long, but when you have, you know, like Hamas is doing, when they're using people as a human shield, like you're left with no good options yes. because you also just can't let them continue. And the bottom line is. My kids come before your kids. Or invent the liberty. Yeah, goddamn right. My kids come before your kids. America first. I would invent a libertarian bullet <laughs> that would go around the that would go around the innocent <laughs> civilian and would only shoot the terrorists so that we can follow the words of Murray Rothbard and never <laughs> violate the nap under any circumstances. God, shut up, retards. I'm so tired of it. Like these people, that, and I think that's a lot, a lot of reasons why the people don't elect libertarians is because they rightfully believe that libertarians would leave us defenseless. Am I wrong? Well, sure, because that's the rhetoric all the time. And if you're not ever talking about the realities, I mean, it's one thing to talk about the ideals, but libertarians don't talk about the reality of what is right now and how we deal with that. And I think that's something that the Mises caucus attempted to do, and I think they were sort of on the right track in, in how they approached things like that. <laughs> They've kind of bombed on it, uh, no pun intended, but yeah, they, it's just, I, it's no wonder that people think those things because those are the voices that they hear.
Right. So, uh, Camelia, this was a great conversation. I'm glad we got to get a little bit of the foreign policy. And I'm going to go argue with John Miltimore about this okay. stuff. And, all <laughs> I right. love John, thank, too. <laughs> thank, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. We look forward to having you back again on Thursday at 8 a.m. Central Time. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much. All right. Let me take a very brief little commercial break and remind you all that the Wake Up America show does have our very own merchandise shop at ap4libertyshop.com. You can get your awesome Don't Tread On Me shirts as well as great phone cases. We've got a bunch of Halloween items in stock right now. Just FYI, like this is like the last week. Like if you want to get your items in time for Halloween, you got to get them this week. Order today your Halloween items at ap4libertyshop.com. That's ap, the number four, ap4libertyshop.com. And when you do, you'll get a chance to, uh, you can get 15% off if you go to the Halloween collection and you use the code Skull and Bones. So use the code Skull and Bones to get yourself an awesome No Lives Matter shirt. Check it out over there. There we go. All right, had the mess up. No Lives Matter shirt at apforlibertyshop.com. Them selling like hotcakes. Somebody bought our the our first pair of Gadsden flag shoes, but they're called like Venom Viper sneakers, I think. But yeah, we've got all kinds of great stuff at apforlibertyshop.com. Get 15% off the Halloween collection using code Skull and Bones. All right, we're going to go to commercial break very briefly. Don't leave. I'm going to go get John Miltimore and we're going to I'm going to beat him up. We're going to have a nice little debate. A libertarian debate about foreign policy. When we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Make sure you click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you enjoy the content that you're hearing today. We'd love to have you come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central. And can we just give a big ups to Rumble.com for featuring us on the front page again today? They've been hooking us up big time with all of the support, and we're grateful to them. So when you click like and you subscribe here, you're also supporting Rumble.com. And if you become a monthly subscriber to the Wake Up America show, then portion of those revenue proceeds go to Rumble as well. So support the Wake Up America show, support Rumble, and support freedom by becoming a monthly supporter today. Help us to spread the word of economic freedom and personal liberty. All right, well, the great libertarian debate, the foreign policy debate, it's one that you'd think, oh, well, we know what the libertarian position on this is going to be. It's either going to be that it's America's fault or America should just stay out of it. But what do you do when you're actually attacked? What is the kind of response that you could say would actually coincide with the principles of don't tread on me. What the hell does come and take it even mean? If it doesn't mean that at some point in time, every normal man must be tempted to spit on his hands, hoist the black flag, and begin slitting throats. Joining us now to discuss is a fellow liberty lover as well, John Miltimore, who gave a little smile with that quote. John, good morning. Nice to see you. Hey, good morning, uh, AP. And, and by the way, I'm a Rumble shareholder, so I, I, I you know, like, like, love seeing what Rumble's doing and uh, great to see they got you on the front page today. Absolutely. And we love to see it because uh, earlier we were dealing with thousands of people here. We got still got 740 people, amazing, beautiful people watching us right now, which is like a month and a half ago, I would have been like pooping my pants <laughs> seeing these kinds of numbers. Um, my life has certainly changed dramatically for the better. Don't thanks do to Rumble.com. So no, I won't do that. But uh, I am grateful to them because I do see them as the free speech platform for people like ourselves. Uh, yeah, and I right. do look, I, I do look forward to hopefully seeing them be as successful as they're helping to make me be. 
Um, all right. So uh, I'm currently uh, being angrily assaulted by mostly anarchists on Twitter right now. I say assaulted, but, you know, they're, uh, it's a war of words, right? Hopefully it doesn't escalate to a hot war in the background of the problem of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And so this question is uh, uh, the one that really they're really angry with me about. And John, don't be shy to disagree with me and mm -hmm. disagree with me vehemently and loudly. But my understanding is that you know, if someone starts a war against you, like let's say Canada started a war against the United States, for example, and it and created tons of property damage, right? We lose billions of dollars. They destroy infrastructure, and they're and they've they've incurred on our territory. They've raped our women. They've killed our children. It's been a horrible, bloody conflict. But finally, we invade and we. When we lop, you know, we chop off Justin Trudeau's head and we throw it in the Manitoba. Um, it, it, is it justified to then perhaps annex Alberta, for example, as a recompensation for the misdeeds of the evil villains to the north? Right? Is it is it uh, is it justifiable in any libertarian sense to say, okay, well, you destroyed our you destroyed our property, you destroyed our our country, you killed thousands to hundreds of thousands of Americans? We're just going to take this as a recompensation. Is there any libertarian argument for something like that? Oh, there probably is. Um, I, I'm not sure it's a real sound one. Um, and, you know, I guess I'll speak more to the pragmatic point on that. The history of reparations is pretty disastrous, right? Like when you have powers, you know, history is filled with war. Um, and we've seen, you know, the last hundred years, especially where, you know, when the country that, that loses a war um are forced to pay all these reparations and to make amends and stuff um those things did more to perpetuate conflict than, than to resolve conflict so I, I i don't i don't think that's a smart policy so um, should columbus have minded his own business and and should should britain have not colonized the united states yeah i, I think i think there you're dealing with one country that's in a, a nation state and one country that was you know like one that is not a country right um and and so so i think that comparison is much different it wasn't like columbus was sailing um to italy right and, and saying okay we're gonna we're gonna take this we're you know italy we had city states and and, and the like at the time um and i guess it would have made sense for him to go to italy anyway of course um it wasn't like he went to we'll, we'll say england okay and and set up over there um but what you had was a vast continent that was you know, much of it was un unclaimed, right? There was, there was, there were people here, but, uh, so manif you know, but manifest destiny, the, the, the pioneers spreading out across the continent, that was the problem. I, and I'm not even sure it's a problem. What you had were, you know, a kind of a clash of cultures. I think, I think people, you know, really before nation states got involved, you had settlers and in, in native Americans that got along for, you know, mostly got along for a long time. They traded together. They worked peacefully together. Um, it was only, Later on, I think we're. You know, there, no, I'm not going to, you know, have those, all roads come. There, 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 there was some conflicts. Yeah, there, there were, there were, there was, there was conflicts, right? Like anytime you're going to have different people together. Um, but if you look at the great, um, bloody chapters of that history, it was when it was when the state was involved, not when what we just had settlers and Native Americans involved. So I, th I think there's a difference there, um, and I think there's actually a, a lesson there as well um but yeah the, 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 what's going on in the middle east right now is is a mess and partly it reminds me like the first casualty of war is truth i am simply trying to figure out what's going on i was i was on about 90 minutes this morning trying to get actual facts on this and the facts themselves change depend on what news you're reading okay and 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 that's that, that's very troubling when you see that but this is not a typical conflict there's more politics in this conflict than 
anything in the world. Um, and and I think you can make some clear, you, you can draw some clear facts that happen. And I think, you know, like, like part of this goes back to what Hamas is. Um, Hamas is not, if you look, the people that attack, they're not, they're not soldiers, right? And you see these massive civilian death tolls all the time. And, and one reason, like, you're like, oh, oh because Hamas, or Hamas does not use soldiers. They're, they're just, these are, they're all civi civilians, even people carrying guns. And and the Geneva Convention does treat people like that differently. Like if, if you are committing acts of war and and but you're not doing it in, in a uniform, you're going to be treated differently. And I think that there's a reason for that, even right? Because um, even you know when the, the Geneva Con Convention was written was written, um, they understood like there's there's war is bad enough, but it, there's a new dimension of chaos introduced when you have combatants that are um, not acting as soldiers but are, are are terrorists. And we saw some of that. I think I think some like if you if you read these other sites, Hamas was just attacking military bases and things like this, um, and maybe some obviously were. But then you had the you know the, the, like the attack at the rock concert where you had just civilians being massacred by 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 people with AK forty sevens and and artillery and things, um, and and that is going to make this conflict much worse. It's already a bad situation. I and John, I, I fear it's going to escalate. I, and I and I agree with you here. But John, if you have a, a a beehive or a wasp nest near your house, right? Not all of the wasps in the wasp nest are going to attack you. Not all the hornets are going to attack you. Some of the hornets are just innocent maggots. Some of the hornets are are worker bees, or some of the bees are just worker bees, right? And they're not the ones that are going to go out there and attack you. But would you let? Would you leave the wasp nest by your house where your kids can play? Would you leave the hornet's nest there? At some point, you have to say to yourself. We can't live peacefully with a culture that is dedicated to our destruction. You're going to have to move over there, right? You're going to have to go somewhere else because you've proven time and time again that you cannot be trusted with these weapons of war, if you will. I mean, so what I'm trying to do in, in being and trying making an analogy comparing you know, Christopher Columbus to, or the Native Americans, the American pioneers, the Native American colonization and things like that, is that I would completely understand if Israel said, sorry, Gaza Strip can't be there anymore. That's a revocation of property rights to an extent. But I mean, at some point in time, if you, like, just like the American pioneers, they had to suffer attack after wave after wave of attack. Not to say that they didn't initiate it as well, but I mean, at some point, it's, you got to agree with Ayn Rand that you're going to look after your own people and you're going to make the decisions that are necessary in order to protect your own people because beyond good and evil, John, beyond this concept of you're killing this many babies, oh, they killed this many more babies, we're really just talking about two groups that are in a conflict and for an existential crisis for their own survival. But if it's going to be the Americans versus the Native Americans, I'm going to choose the Americans every time. That's my culture, that's my people, that's me. And that's me protecting my own. But whatever lofty principles we want to have are somewhat of a luxury when people are in existential conflict. Am I wrong? Um, I, I think you look at this situation, you go back to 2005, Israel stopped policing Gaza. And I think most people in Israel today would tell you that's a mistake. Um, they did it because they thought we could live peacefully next to each other. That hasn't happened. Um, and and it, it, things have actually gotten, I think, I think probably a lot worse, on, at least on some level since then. Uh, it's a fair question to ask, can these two people live together? The, the answer, though, the Palestinians have kind of reached that same conclusion, like we cannot live with, with the Israelis over here, right? So, so they, they've, they've made that decision. Uh, Israel might make that same conclusion, right? 
Um, and I will say that that's Israel's choice. Like, that's it. How, how these countries um, decide to live together, that's going to be on them. And I, I, I think it's going to be challenging. I think it's going to be bloody. The problem is now you have the international, you know, the, 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 let's face it, America is very, very much in this fight. And I think that's what, you know, the United States, you know, should be thinking about why. Why are we entangled in all of these things around the, the globe? And I think that's the libertarian question. Like, um, we, we need to acknowledge we are an empire. Um, this was not how it was supposed to be. George Washington wrote about this in his farewell address, and he warned us. If he, what was going on when he, when he wrote his farewell address at the time? The French Revolution. And everyone was talking about what we should do, which side we should pick on. The monarchy just got their heads lopped off. You want to talk about barbarity. French Revolution had plenty of it. And Washington said, no, 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 that's not our fight. That we're not, that's not why we're here. We're not supposed to be getting involved in those things. When others more idealistic, maybe like Jefferson, really wanted to get involved, Jefferson wanted to get involved in the wrong side, even. Like he 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 was really in favor of the Jacobins. Um, so I think you know the, I mean, the Israel and, and, you know, but it's wrong to say that like they didn't uh, envision an empire because even if what what George Washington, you know, taking that into account, Donald, I mean it's not Donald Trump, God. Thomas Jefferson in literally said that he envisioned the United States to be an empire of liberty. He used those specific words. A and he also created the U.S. Navy in order for us to be able to defend against the empires of the world. I mean, do we really want to live in a world where, where we have to deal with multilateral relations on, and be on a, do you want to live in a world, John, where we're on a level, an equal playing ground where, where Russia and China have the same kind of military power that the United States has. Do you want to live in that world? I, I think that would make our, our, our world a better world. Like, I, I really think that there's... Do you think like, that I, Russia I, and China being on a military par with the United States would make a better world? I For, for us. Because here's the thing. That here's what we've realized. Like when we, when we construct these massive military apparatus, um, if we look, this has been, this is what has crushed liberty. If you look, it is our involvement in international affairs. War, war is the health of the state. And as we built, there was a reason, you know, you're right that Jefferson, the founders weren't a monolith. And Jefferson was one of the more grandiose, idealistic ones. But a lot of them did not even want a standing army. And, and it was for good reason. They saw that army being employed in all these ways that were going to be harmful to liberty. He also expanded and, the United and so States I, I think, via the I think we Louisiana should be, Purchase. He also, he also yeah. disobeyed the Constitution and bought the land. Uh, That's my point. Jefferson really didn't follow the principles of liberty when it when it came in this respect. Others but, were wiser. But than here's Jeff the thing. Jefferson. Here's the thing. Was it? Here's here's the thing. It would it would it have been the? So you think it was the wrong thing for Jefferson to buy the Louisiana Purchase? From for the aspect of liberty, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, like like it, it, this is this is the whole the, the whole. Me. You've got to be kidding me. You're, no. you're, you're seriously going to argue against the the Louisiana Purchase? I, I think if you look, this whole notion of manifest destiny that was going to spread across the continent, um, it, it it did serious harm to our republic because because the more it grew, um, the more political problems it created. And and, and the, the Louisiana and, and Purchase created more look, problems. If John, you look at why we, we became, a, you cannot be arguing that the United States should have stopped at the the initial colonial borders. I'm saying if we wanted to remain faithful to the principles that their country is founded on, we should not have been so aggressively expanding across this country. And and really, yeah, no, I, uh, I and I, I think I think if you look at history, if you if you look at it, one of the reasons 
um, our liberty fell. One of the reasons that we had this massive civil war was because we did those things. Like we, there's no civil war. There's no. It, it is the bloodiest conflict in U.S. history. There's no American civil war, probably, if we don't John, sit there, if, if we don't expand westward like we did. You can't seriously believe that. There's no. no civil I, I've war. thought about. I, I've, I've thought about this a lot, and I, I think I think it was a mistake. Um, I wouldn't even say a mistake. I think in in one sense, I recognized it was inevitable. We were a we were a continental power. Um, we had the power to do this, and it was sort of there was some force pushing us in that direction i think but i think what happened during that period is is when we became from united states small caps to united states to to, to one big country um and, and and it put us on a path toward empire and and i think we're, we're here now and we're, we have now the burden of empire and it it is what has has transformed us from a republic into an empire um, in all the ways that that um, have have really done harm to liberty here at home. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there, John. Uh, let me just reset. For those who might be just tuning in live, I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show. Make sure you click like and subscribe. I'm speaking to John Miltimore, the managing editor of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're talking a little bit about libertarian foreign policy in the background of the conflict between Israel and Hamas, and we're comparing it to you know anti-colonialist movements. You would fit in well with those uh, those anti-colonialist New Yorkers who are complaining about these, the free Palestine people here, John, with these views. Because the problem is, is that we don't live in some perfect world where if we just lay down our arms, lay down our guns, and 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 give the Chinese and the Chinese the ability to catch up with us militarily, and Russia to catch up with us militarily, that they're not going to use that uh, to take advantage of us. And to put the put put us in their place. We How are they going to take world, advantage? We, we of live us. in a world. We live in a world. We live in a world where aggressive communist states that want to subjugate the rest of the world would do so if they had the power and authority to do so. Here's my thing: if you got a guy who tells you, for example, that I'm going to kill you, right? I'm going to kill. I'm going to go get a gun and I'm going to kill you, right? I, I know a lot of libertarians would say, oh, well, it's just harsh words and all that kind of stuff. But would you at least trip him as he runs away? I mean, would you at least like kind of give him a little shove or something like that before he goes to get the gun to kill you? I mean, like at some point, like what, where does don't tread on me come on board? When does the libertarian hoist the black flag and begin slitting throats, John? Well, I, I, Certainly not at this point. I mean, if you look, it is the United States. We're the ones with military bases all over the world. China's not over in our hemisphere. Russia's not in our hemisphere, right? We are the ones over there. And 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 here's what happens. I do think we're a more benevolent country and a better country than China or Russia. But all of these things that having bases all across the country, what happens is you have interests now that you need to protect. And if you look, it, it is defending this empire for better or worse. Um, that has gotten us in all these entanglements. And as that has happened, our responsibilities across the world grow and grow. And you and you get the, now these insane things that happen, like we're, we we give Iran, you know, $500 million in cash on pallets because we're, we're trying to buy peace in these different, like this is tribute. It's a different kind of tribute. Um, this is not, this is not what America was supposed to be. Um, and I think, you know, we, we're the ones that, that we, we, our budget on the military is 10 times. Uh, what Russia's is. It's not even close. Um, we have the biggest stick, right? It, there's there's no question about it. 
um, and we know it. And we're the kid. Not what, what does that make us? It makes us the schoolyard bully that when when people need help, they come to us. Okay, they come to us we, and they John, say, hey, we, you, you, need, "You need to fix this problem." John, um, we th pay that, a lot that, That's of, not what we're supposed to do. John, we pay a lot of taxpayer dollars for national defense. Too much money in national defense. A lot of it's way wasted. Way, way too much. We can agree on that. However, if I run a business and I'm bringing oil to the United States, for example, right, and I've got to go through the Strait of Hormuz. Is it reasonable to expect that my U.S. taxpayer dollars might help pay for a, a frigate to defend my merchant shipping so as I don't have to worry about the types of attacks that the Iranians will frequently use against merchant shipping through the Strait of Hormuz? What, what was the solution to this before we had, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson? Were... Thomas Jefferson created the U.S. Navy constitutionally through the proper laws of this country in order to protect American merchant shipping yeah, from, Brit Brit from British though. raids, from British raids, and, and specifically the from pirate raids, the Tripolitan pirates. And that is that is a legitimate, lawful, constitutional exercise of American authority, at least if you believe in the Constitution. So that is historically what the United States has done, protected yeah. American merchant shipping, and Americans from being enslaved or attacked overseas. My, my question is very simple. What were merchants doing before we had a nation state power enough, powerful enough to protect them? In their getting hijacked. The getting hijacked by... They were armed and, themselves. They they had their own cannons. They had their... And they, they were able to protect themselves. I don't think it's... I think that's a better solution than having the U.S. Navy trolling around all over the globe is that we have merchants that are capable of protecting themselves. To me, that's a great solution. I mean, you're, it's a very so you're libertarian really, one. I mean, you're really... It's not a free market solution to some extent because it, you're really talking about expanding or, or, or contracting the American economy because Americans are not going to be able to do business overseas in lots of different countries because... They can't expect there's no way to invest in many of these places if they can't get their products and their goods and services to market. I, I don't personally see a problem with American soldiers standing guard nearby with a, a rifle ready to go if somebody were to attack American merchant shipping overseas because that contributes to the flow of the American free market capitalist economic system. Without the ability to, to engage in international trade, then the American economy contracts by like 75%, John. Like I said, I, I, this idea that trade is going to disappear if we don't have military bases all over is one it, really not, not an argument I, I buy. Um, and I, I think I think what you would have are, are you know merchants that would be you know protecting their own interests themselves. Um, th this idea that you need a global empire to facilitate trade it kind of runs runs counter to to if you look at history like like trade. Trade was able to thrive even during the bloodiest wars in history, and, and there was th these things were. Uh, it's the invisible hand at work. Like, like nations are still able to prosper and, and trade together, um, e even when there, there's there's conflicts abroad. And I, I not, what I think is that you, the state is what breeds these conflicts. Um, and I'm 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 not naive enough to think that that we're going to have peace overnight um, if the you know the U.S. government just you know picks up its tents and and goes home. There's still going to be conflicts abroad. But what we will have, we won't have the temptation to go and beat down every excursion well, that draws the, the attention of we won't have the we won't have the capability so if americans get kidnapped overseas and impressed into slavery then it's just oh well you know shouldn't have been there that's a risk that you take with yeah, your own, but, with your uh, own there life. are responses that are short of, of full-blown military response 
like right we we have we have uh teams that are capable of going and addressing situations um going not under, anywhere not I, under a not under an american military that's shrunk by like 75 percent i mean I the think, thing I is here's what would. i'm yeah. here's what i'm ultimately trying to get you to to say or to admit at some point at some level there is a legitimate lawful and constitutional authority to use the u.s military in defense of the lives of american citizens is there not um i'd be very careful about that no like if, if we, there's you, there's u.s citizens all over the world and what, what, what you have not, are there is no legitimate lawful constitutional proper you know checks and I guess, balances maybe i'm answering the question if you're saying if you're saying that we have a responsibility to go to war whenever a u.s citizen is killed somewhere i'm not I'd saying say absolutely that not. I'm, I'm i'm talking about like for example iranian hostages right they you know they take american hostage they've got 75 american citizens hostage in iran and they're demanding billions of dollars from us that we don't have to pay right and you're telling me that like a, a, a military operation now we've had this before and it didn't go well but i mean it's not to say that it isn't the right thing to do i'm saying that at some point there there is like a, a proper and legitimate use of force in order to defend american citizens of course right? but like, if if we want to if there are american citizens that are, are alive and i i think going and trying to protect them and to, to retrieve them um is is, is absolutely a justified use of force Okay, so that that's that's step one. Okay, that's step one. At least there is some lawful, legitimate, constitutional use of force that you would say is necessary and proper. Okay, so over and above and beyond that, you save a lot of lives, you save a lot of time, rather than what, you know, it, once the fox gets into the hen house, it's too late. But if you have the guard waiting outside the hen house, ready to go, then you make sure that the fox doesn't enter the hen house in the first place so what i'm saying is it sounds like you're talking about preemptive strikes a preemptive strike is comes before something in other yeah. words if before the fox gets hit, in the hen house yeah if you're going to attack me then i'm going to get you first yeah preemptive strike means before something happens yeah. right so you were getting ready to attack me so i attacked you i had an argument with an anarchist once who was saying that under no circumstances, should, you know, it's America's fault that North Korea is saber rattling and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, well, if, if Kim Jong-un puts a, a nuclear missile on the launch pad, can we blow it up? No, absolutely not. I'm like, okay, what if they start the countdown sequence? No, 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 no. They, you know, okay, what if they actually launch the missile and it's aimed towards Los Angeles and the missile has been fired? Can we then blow? Yeah, then you can blow the missile out of the air. And it's like, with what Air Force, you fuck? Like, what money was that we didn't have enough money to appropriate it because your anarchist ass didn't want us to do it because taxation is theft? How can we possibly build the kind of defense that's necessary to fight against intercontinental ballistic missiles when you defunded the nuclear triad? We don't have nuclear submarines and ICBMs and B-2 bombers anymore because you took away the ability for us to be able to do that. We can't shoot the missile out of the air without guided, mis without guided laser bombs and without be, you know, without the the proper jets that are necessary to do something like that, we can't do that without the proper national defense that's necessary to prevent those kinds of attacks. You know, at, at some point in time, what I'm saying here is that you gotta have the you've gotta have the big bomb ready to go in case you need to use it. Right? You've gotta have a military and a national defense 
and be willing to use it if it's necessary. Am I wrong, John? No, I, I don't think there's anything where I wouldn't be getting rid of our uh, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles or anything like that. I think they're, they're good to have. Um, and, you know, I, I do think nuclear capability made these questions much more difficult to answer from a libertarian perspective. Um, and we can talk about like a lot of hypothetical scenarios. Um, what what I think the problem is, you know, like there, there's you split hairs here, but and I don't mean you, but people do between anti-aggression and anti-war. And at one time I would have said like, oh, I'm anti-aggression, but not anti-war. I think we need to be as libertarians anti-war as well, because I think we forget how evil war is. Um, war is the most destructive force on the planet. And I'm not saying there aren't scenarios when when we should engage in it. There are, and we we discussed some of them. Um, but if we're looking right now, war, war is dehumanized. We're seeing it here. We're seeing this conflict bring out the worst in people. And we haven't even really started yet. I know it sounds a lot when you hear, oh, 700 Palestinians or 900 you know, Israelis. Those numbers sound, they're horrifying, right? It, it, there's something, a revulsion that, that boils up within us. This has barely started. And look at what is happening here. Look at what this war is doing to people. War is 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 hell. And we need to remember that. We, we have to look at, you know, instead of trying to think of like solutions where yeah, we could probably use war and there's, we need to remember that. No, no, no. There are no winners here. And and what I want, you know, Israel has the opportunity to, to learn from the U.S.'s 9-11 response because everybody's comparing this event to, to 9-11. Um, who looks back and thinks our response was really good and effective? I, I, I don't. I, th I think what we did, our responses were crazy. And we built our own security state here in our own intelligence state. And and all these things that we did, I think I think were very ineffective, but worse, they, they they eroded liberty at home. And I don't want the people of Israel to make that same mistake. I I don't I I, I do see that. Hey, look, the leaders of Hamas who ordered this attack, Israel has every right to go and say, no, we're, we're not going to allow this to happen again. We're and they can take action. We're running out of time, John Miltimore. At, at some point, I think we have to say that don't tread on me. We have to define what don't tread on me means, right? We have to be willing. Listen, if we don't learn the art of war, our enemies, they know it. They're going to use it against us. We've got we've to know how to fight. We, we've got to learn the, the techniques of strategies of war. Um, John Miltimore, uh, is there anything else you want to share before we let you go? Maybe plug your Substack real quick. Thanks for the debate, by the way. Spirited. Yeah, it's fun. Enjoy, I enjoy I'm playing it. Devil's I'm playing devil's advocate a lot, too, and it's, you know, it's fun. I, I might be doing some of that as well. No, check out my content. It's the take on Substack, and check out all our content on fee.org.